Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hello and welcome to another edition of Nerdificent from home, possibly indefinitely. <laughs> I, I feel like they might have just sold our studio at this point. <laughs> I don't even know who's over there. I just imagine it's a bunch of cobwebs, but like we're also maybe possibly getting mail over there. I don't know. Um, my my co-host this week is our beautiful, wonderful super producer, Joelle Monique. Hey guys. What do you think is happening over at our studio? Do we I have- know what's happening over there, but I sort of like the mystery that you've okay. created. <laughs> I love um, now that you're things. you're a super producer and like produce so many shows now at iHeart that you have the inside more than I do. Yes. Absolutely. I know who manages our unit. Um, oh, so nice wow. to say if you have mail coming there, it's safe. Okay. <laughs> that way. Well, go. If you I think there was like an edible company that was gonna send us edibles. And so I might need to take a visit to our I have to run over there and just see what's up with that. Absolutely. Um, today's guest, she is a writer, a comedian, a repeat guest that was on our Doctor Who episode, one of our most listened to episodes. It's Riley Silverman. Hey. Hello. And as someone who, at least unless you move studios, has been in your studio before and for multiple podcasts, I'm assuming that even with all this happening, there is still a parking headache. Oh, like a thousand percent. <laughs> the parking lot behind the building, there is still someone saying there's no room for cars and we're not supposed to park where we've been told by every email we're supposed to park. Even though we have um, paid parking spots for you, Riley, specifically as a guest, I know yeah. it was someone should do. I feel like you could actually do a television show about that parking lot. Like, yeah. what goes oh, my on. gosh, there'd be so much drama and stuff. Um. Today, Joel, do you want to tell everyone what we're talking about? We're talking about my favorite Jedi. It's Ahsoka Tano time. I'm so excited. <laughs> we are. And I think, uh, you know, we've tried to attack Star Wars as such a huge franchise. You know, at the start of the year, we had like five weeks, I think we did, tackling different elements of Star Wars. And so for for us, it's, it's so much more fun to talk about... Uh, 
niche like character, like breaking down, you know, about droids or breaking down about our favorite characters, as opposed to talking about Star Wars at large, since there's entire podcast dedicated to it. I'll tell it. you, Danny, it's a lot less research on my end. <laughs> Talk about one character instead of the very broad scope. I like the broad scopes though, because we, we really were able to get into like, what do those things mean on sort of like both a nebulous level and like a very specific sort of analyzing of how do they improve the series and what does that mean to different characters? But like to talk about Ahsoka, who is sort of the first, the, you see female Jedi walking in the background of things. If you're fans of the novels, you may have come across one like in training or like running the library, doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, but this is the first Jedi where we are like in their story and she's become such a fan favorite and like much like Harley Quinn's journey from animated character to live action to comic books and sort of spilling out. Ahsoka's had a very similar journey. And so to sort of, See her blossom into both an older figure having the revisit of her like late teen years in the new clone wars uh season there's just there's so much to like love and see about her timeline and there's still so much to go and because of star wars and they just get to pop in that timeline whenever what she means to the series overall could change in 20 years and it could be a huge mm -hmm. impact mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons i love her i feel like she was created for me, I got into Star Wars uh, during the Clone Wars animated series. I'd watched it before, but that's when I fell in love. And Ahsoka was sort of the person who guided me through that series. I love her. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of, as you're clearly geeking out, I'm going to yes. transition. You know, our historically great transitions on this. Yes, podcast. we just call them out like we see them. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, every week we start with what we're geeking out about. And Riley, I would love to start with you. Is there anything that you're super into right now? Um, I mean, it's... Uh with the quarantine world, it feels like such a weird time to geek out about stuff because you're geeking out about things that like may have aired like years and years ago. True. Or you're like refinding old things. But uh, what I've been doing is so I, I have temporarily relocated to Ohio because I was helping my mom move um, and I, I had to drive to do that. So I actually like packed up my work stuff and came out here and I've been working out of Ohio and still kind of pretty quarantined out here. But uh, my girlfriend has never seen most of the Marvel cinematic movies. So we have actually been working our way through them together, which has been really fun to do. Uh, so that's been a huge thing. And then also she had never seen, except for I think Jurassic World, she had never seen any of the Jurassic Park movies. And we oh. went and saw Jaws and Jurassic Park as a double feature at a, at a drive-in theater. And so now we're slowly working our way through the Jurassic Park movies too. So it's been a lot of like binging of like movie franchises that she missed out on at certain points in her life. So I'm envious of your quarantine because that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so did you, um, are you watching it, the MCU, how it was released? Yeah, I think at least it's just easier to do it that way. And also I kind of let her pick like same thing. Like she actually very apropos for today's discussion. She chose to get into Star Wars last fall because she had only only had ever seen like I think like Phantom Menace when she worked at a movie theater. And mm. we went to Galaxy's Edge last September, or August, September um, at Disneyland and I freaked out because it's like my main, one of my main like lifetime fandoms. And it was amazing to finally see it in person like that. And she thought it was fun, but didn't have the same quite connection that I did with it. So then she made the decision that she wanted to go through Star Wars herself and like watch everything. And one of the most important aspects of doing that, I think, was letting her make her own journey with it. So I, I never said like, you have to watch the movies in this order and enjoy it in this way. And she like researched it herself and 
decided which way she wanted. Like she asked me for my advice, but um, ultimately chose to do it her own way. And it was so funny because then I remember like going online and, and I was like tweeting and posting about her reactions to the things that she was watching. We were having some fun interactions and so many, and you know, mostly dudes, sorry guys, um, would message me or respond to my tweets with like the instructions they wanted me to give my girlfriend wow. to improve her viewing process. And I remember oh. thinking like, like, you know, I, I think about how many times in my life I've heard uh, like straight, like cis dude, like probably white talk about like how like they can't get their girlfriends into their nerdy things. And I almost go, maybe the reason why <laughs> you can't isn't because they're not into stuff. It's that like you have made it so there's no chance for them to find any joy in it as mm. you go through it with them. Because if they try to watch it, you're not trying to let them have their own experience with it. You're trying to have your exact experience with mm -hmm. it, how you curate it. And I don't think it works that way. So yeah, I think that like with Star Wars, I very much like let her make her, like I, I, I step back and she went on her own journey with it and she ended up loving it. And now she's a pretty big Star Wars fan. But I think that if I had been like, no, okay, so you got to watch, you got to watch Star Wars and then Empire. And then you're going to watch you're going to forget Phantom Menace and then you're going to watch Attack of the Clones and then you're going to watch Vendor the Sith. Like she would have, her eyes would have glazed over and she would have been done. But instead it was like that. And so that same thing with, with the MCU, um, she just kind of like looked it up. And I think, I think for her release order makes the most sense. So she's watch, watching it that way. Yeah. I mean, that that's such a good point of like, I feel like I have dated a couple of people who like when a scene is coming up, they're like, oh, 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 you got to, you know, like they're just trying to take away like the moment from you. And like, we're all going to yeah. have something that I remember is when you sit down to watch a movie, you bring all of your life experiences with you to that. And a lot of people don't understand that. So we're never, it's never going to be the same for me as like, say someone I'm dating and vice versa. Like there are moments in these films that I might latch on to in a way that they don't. And mm -hmm. so I think if you don't, exactly resonate with a film or a specific moment in the way that they do even though their experiences are so different it's like yours is somehow less than and it's like as opposed to just letting her like you said just experience it and take what she does and it's yeah probably, yeah but also i did want to say so when my my family got disney plus my older brother texted me and he was like oh i'm watching all the mcu because he has two kids and he just like picks up what movies he can here and there um and he also doesn't have to do this for a living so <laughs> yeah he doesn't go he never sees anything in theaters ever um anymore uh and so but it was funny because he wrote me and he was like, oh, I'm watching. I found this article and it said, this is how you're supposed to watch them. And I was like, no, that article was probably written by Hector Navarro. <laughs> <laughs> and I told Hector, I'm like, I hate you because Hector was so big about like, you watch this and then you hop over and you watch yeah. this. And then because it was like canonically. This, this closing scene ties into this movie. I read yeah. that scene. I love Hector. Uh, but yeah, it's very <laughs> I'm like, Hector, that's great if you've already seen yes, them. Yes, thank you. you. Can watch through it. It's not a great viewing method if you've never seen them. And yes. like, even his article kind of requires you to have seen them to understand that. Right. Also, because it, it tells you the things that connect, which like, if you haven't seen them, that article spoils it all for you. And like, you still in the end, and again, Hector's been on here five times and I'll like clip and send this to him because I literally wrote him and I was like, damn you, <laughs> you got to my brother. Yeah. <laughs> Who had never seen them. But yeah, it's just really funny how there's no, re oh, 
that's what I want to say. There's no right way to like consume a lot of this, especially when it's been out for decades. Yeah. A lot of us might have caught some of it, like half the movie on on FX during July Fourth weekend, or you know, it's like, yeah, it's yeah. So I was I was talking to somebody recently about how different watching franchises is now versus when like I was a little kid in the '80s because the way like the fact like your brother can can like catch up to the mcu by going on disney plus and watching it in the release order and now like any parents who like want to get their kids into mcu stuff can do that with disney plus or their dvd collection or whatever but back in like the 80s we're like yes you had vhs tapes but for the most part when franchise movies came out you almost just joined the franchise with whatever movie was new when mm-hmm. you were like i i have much better vivid memories of seeing Indiana Jones in the last crusade than I do of Raiders of the Lost Ark because like Temple of Doom was a little, I was a little too young when it came out. So it was like my brother's movie, but I like the idea of the character of Indiana Jones. So when last crusade came out, like it was tailor made for me. It's like, Hey, here's a movie that's like your guy, but now it's a new movie with him in it and you can watch it. And same thing with like Ghostbusters two and stuff like that, where it was like you, I, I had, I was aware of the first one, but the second one was like my exact age range when it came mm-hmm. out. And that's when you saw it. And Gremlins 2. Like I saw Gremlins 2 and enjoyed it before I saw Gremlins 1. And now, I mean, I'm sure people still do that. Like if their kids are too young to know what sequels are, they might just take their kids to see like a superhero movie. But I, I do think that nowadays, like I, I imagine there's not a lot of people who likes like kids who are Star Wars fans who the first Star Wars movie they saw was Force Awakens. You know, I think most of them right. probably got seen, shown the trilogy, shown the prequels maybe, or shown the cartoon shows or whatever. But then when Force Awakens came out, then they took them to see that too. Yeah. Um, luckily, we have literally everything at our consumption. Yeah. <laughs> um, Joelle, what are, what are you geeking out about this week? The thing I've been geeking out about a lot is Central Park, which is a new show on um, Apple TV. It's a TV show by the guy who created Bob's Burgers. It's a musical. It's set in Central Park. It's produced by Josh Gad. It's not a perfect show. It's not um, the best show you've ever seen, but damn, is it lighthearted and funny. Damn, is it cute as hell. Um, it's got a lot of your favorite Broadway stars, uh, and it's it's so delightful. And now they recast Kristen Bell as the half black, half white girl. I'm really excited about that. I don't know when season two is coming, but the songs do slap. And um, if you just need to take your mind off of the hot garbage that is the world, you can pop that in and just forget. And it's so lovely. Love it. (laughs) Mine is also an animated show. And it's I watched the second season of Harley Quinn. And let me tell you, Harley (laughs) Quinn, as someone who actively works in television, is one of the best shows comedically has some of the best comedic writing if you want to be a comedy writer watch this show i'm like this is better than a lot of the live action crap that gets put out and i think i say that because i do not think that she gets the recognition i don't think that the writers on this show the characters what they're doing the social commentary they're making while also just being badass and kicking butt like just you know dicking around all the things that she's allowed to do um i don't think enough people are talking about this show so i hope that this convinces you to be like okay i'm finally going to sit down i'm going to watch this show because it is such great writing i think it's tough because dc universe is such like an an extent like not everyone it's it's such a niche streaming service to have 
but like I got to, I haven't seen season two yet because I don't have DCU, but I have, I have uh, sci-fi through Sling and they aired season one on the sci-fi channel and you can watch that at least, at least up in, I don't know how recent it was, but at least in, in May, you could watch season one on demand on sci-fi on demand. Mm. So Riley, I'll send you my password and stuff so you can watch season two because it's please so much do, better than am, season one. No, I really will. I am a lifelong Harley and Ivy shipper. And so yes. I know what happens in season two. And I'm like obsessed with needing to see it because like season one, I even liked their relationship as friends because it gave me that like Daria and Jane vibe that I was like, that I needed. Yes. But like knowing where it went in season two, I need to see it because I have, I, that's my OTP. Like I have shipped them yes. since like their first pair up on the Batman animated series before I understood that I was queer or what being queer was or even yes. what was. I was like, these two should be girlfriends. I don't know if that means, but I want this to happen. <laughs> Them hanging out at the mall and kidnapping Batman is such an iconic episode for me. Personally, they are the first fan fiction I got into when my, my lesbian roommates were like, how are you not reading all of their fan fiction? I'm like, is that a thing that exists? They're like, yes, and they're in canon. And then I, we were together, still living together when um, the comic book came out where they were like finally canonized. And uh, they're yeah. just absolutely the best. And it's been such a long journey, I think, for especially for like, queer harley stands of a certain age like that's sort of been our like the our entire journey through fandom and and queer canonized relationship sort of is embodied in those two and uh, the show yeah. got it right i'm so worried after season one i'm like what are we doing and now it's uh, it's confirmed and it's beautiful and it feels authentic it's so good I, yeah. I interviewed Marguerite Bennett a couple years ago, who was the first one to make them a couple in the comics in the Bombshells comics. And I remember asking her what it was like to finally take the ship and make it canon. And she said that it was such a prevalent ship that she didn't even realize that when she did it, that it wasn't already canon because wow. it, it, it was so prevalent in the fandom that these two were a romantic pair that she didn't realize that it was the first time <laughs> it actually kissed in the in a panel. I think that, that makes precious. sense. I think that's adorable. Yeah. Uh, um, speaking of another animated, <laughs> currently animated, see, look at these, look at these transitions. Making it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Leading lady, Ahsoka Tano. I want to know when both of you first saw her. What was your mm. first memory? You want to take that one, Riley? Um, I don't know if I have an actual pinpoint. Like I, I didn't immediately get into Clone Wars like a lot of people did when it first came on um like the now this is the feloni clone wars not the original clone wars mm -hmm. which she's not involved in but she the the, the genny tarkovsky clone wars but um i think it was actually weirdly i remember a friend of mine was talking about his daughter dressing as ahsoka tano for halloween and like uh somebody was like kind of like what do you mean and he's like oh it's it's anakin's padawan from the clone wars and like they're like, what an obscure character, but it's like, no, not for a kid who's watching Clone Wars and into it. And I remember being like, oh, I want to know who this character is that like young girls watching Star Wars like are relating to and dressing up as as a costume. That's kind of how I became aware of her as a character. Uh, yeah, I caught on to her in Clone Wars. I was a first night Toonami while I was like, what? Like semi-anime, but kind of this new 3D style I'm in. And um, I was 13 when the show came out. So I was very much vibing with it. I was like, oh my God, look at this cool girl. And then sort of as Ahsoka grew, specifically her fight style got gets a lot stronger the further the show progresses. I just became more and more uh, obsessed with the idea that not only could a woman be a Jedi, but she could 
she could take two of the greatest Jedi's ever to task frequently and win. It was just incredible. So she's leading armies at 13, like as a, a solo kid who was doing like a ton of extracurriculars and just like trying to embody the badass women I was seeing on TV. Like Ahsoka was definitely an early inspiration. Yeah, so when, as y'all said, when Ahsoka Tano burst on the scene as Anakin Skywalker's Padawan in the Star Wars animated series Clone Wars, she became the first female Jedi led lead in the canonical saga and became an icon for millions over the world. She's known by her nickname Snips. Her precocious attitude, firm belief in justice, and love for adventure made her a worthy student of one of the most powerful force users in known history. But she isn't just a student. Her destiny was to be incredible force wielder. So I'm sure most people have seen her, but in case they haven't and they're like, who are you talking about? Um, Joelle, can you explain like her look to people? Because it's very yeah. iconic. Yeah. Okay. So Katana is a Toru... Tagruda? Is that how Tugruda. you say it? Right? I, think, I, I think it's Tagruda. Yeah. Tagruda. Okay. She's got these big blue eyes. She has white leku and mantras, which are these blue and white stripes. They look sort of like pigtails, but they're not. They're not like furry or hairy. They're sort of like an extension of her skull, essentially, but they're soft. Um, and as she grows, like the stripes on them get wider and longer. She's slender, like mostly eyes and just like a boxy short fighter. Like if you've seen like some of the greatest fighters, they tend to have like a very low to the ground center of gravity and they get those punches out real quick. That's a so good. Think Tumblr. Yeah. She has orange skin and she also has these like white lines on her skin that are almost like war paint. Like she has like different like, like designs to those. And when they first brought her out, she, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of her original costume when they, when she was like little, because mm. it's like a tube top and like a short skirt. Um, and then it's definitely as, like your mom dropped you off at forever 21. And that's what you came out with when you were 12. Wow. Like, this is yeah. what <laughs> but, uh, as the, as she matured and as the show matured about, about in season three, they kind of did like a bit of a time jump to show the progression of time during the clone war. And she got this kind of newer costume where it's a more of a full, full on dress, like cut, like short dress with a little bit of a boob window, but then she has like leggings with these diamonds on them. And then uh, she also has a later costume, like there's, there's multiple costumes as the Clone Wars came back and also as she appeared on the TV series Rebels as well. And she's much older in Rebels, but um, yeah. So that's kind of her basic look is this kind of like, like very like fitted, um, almost like workout clothes. Like she's like, it's very like utilitarian. Like there's like, there's like, like belts and stuff and places to hold her lightsabers. And like, she does occasionally wear the Jedi robes, but never, never like the full on like white on brown, like, like top, like, like you might see An Anakin or Obi-Wan wearing, or even Yoda. She kind of has her own, like, it's almost like, it's almost like she's wearing like workout gear or like, like that kind of mill, like form fitting, like that kind of combat gear. So talking more about her combat gear, she also has she has dual blades and holds her lightsaber blade down rather than the more traditional blade up. Can you do you all know what I guess I don't know, like the significance. Is that just her fighting style that they, she's typically shown as? Yeah, her fighting style favors more like deflecting uh, blaster bolts than it is like pure on combat. Like she is a very skilled lightsaber duelist, like as she gets older, especially. But yeah, like she has originally she only has one lightsaber, then she gets a second one, uh, and then she loses both of those and then replaces them with new ones. But um, as as time passes on and the Clone Wars end and stuff like that, but 
Uh, her original blades are a green and kind of a yellowish green one. And then when she comes back in Clone Wars, Anakin gives her new ones that are blue, that are like her same her same hilts, but with a blue blade. And then in the novel, uh, which takes place a year after Order 66, there's actually a really cool story behind how she gets her lightsaber, her new lightsabers, is that she's basically, as the, as the novel goes on, she keeps collecting all this scrap metal and eventually she realizes she's been slowly subconsciously building her own new lightsabers, but then she needs the crystals and she tries to go to get the crystals, but the planet that they normally got the crystals from is like a whole arc about them in the clone wars is now being mined by the empire for the crystals to use in the death star. So then she like reaches out to the force for the crystals that are calling to her. And she hears them in the sabers of this Sith inquisitor who is like, chasing after her and she goes and she defeats him in a duel and takes his uh his crystals and puts them in her sabers and they basically there's a canon now in newer star wars canon where the reason why sith lightsaber blades are red is because of the the sith user is corrupting the blade and it's like literally bleeding the energy out of it which is why it turns red so then when ahsoka puts them back in her sabers and re and ignites them she's purifying those red blades and so now they burn white so she has these dual white lightsabers which is also supposed to be symbolic of the fact that she is unaffiliated like at the time when this happened she's no longer a jedi um but so she's not She's not a gray Jedi. She is still a light light side force user, but she's like her own Ronin kind of character. And so they made her blades white to symbolize that. Shout out to E.K. Jemison for writing one of the sickest oh, books in the Star Wars novel so canon. Good. If you yeah. I I'm I love the Star Wars novels. Uh Leia Princess of Alderaan is another like really great one. Of course, all the um Thrawn books are excellent, but this one holds a really special place in my heart. Um because it's sort of the first time, I mean, for Clone Wars fans, um, you see Ahsoka travel through all of these like really tight battles. And then right at the end, the Jedi doubt her and she ends up leaving the Jedi. Yeah. Um, they don't trust her word. I don't want to, I won't spoil it in case you want to get into the series, but they don't trust her word. And she winds up leaving, leaving Anakin. She's starting to sense that he's turning, but she can't believe that it's happening and she can't quite put words to it, but she knows she needs to get out. And she does. But we're left with this like very like cowboy western walk away where she just walks off into the sunset and Anakin's left standing there and you're like, but what happens to our girl? And if you were watching that in real time, it's about 10 years before you get any kind of news update yeah. on Ahsoka and what happened to you. It is the most maddening. It was so frustrating. I was like, I need to know what happens to her. So when this book came out, it was like, it was really wonderful to see where she went. If you caught up with the uh, Clone Wars season seven that just released on Disney Plus, you get like they pick up little snippets of it. Um, that's right after she leaves, though. They pick up the story almost immediately. So it's interesting. You have like both right after a year later, and then I want to say like 15 years later with Rebels, as far as her storyline goes. So, like I said, there's yeah. a lot to cover. Yeah. Uh, the, the Soka novel is set exactly one year after the Empire takes over, and then Rebels is set, I think, five years before the beginning of A New Hope, which is 19 years later. So, yeah, it's about 15, 14 years. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine anyone trying to tell y'all anything about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> like when I, Riley, when I was listening to you just rattle off everything that you know about even her lightsabers, I was just like, I can't imagine a single person typing anything to you ever. Oh. 
Oh, they have. I, I wrote, I, so I recently wrote a video on YouTube that is like my thesis on why I think Ahsoka is the greatest Jedi of all time. Or at least I saw that it was for fandom, right? We, yeah. We're going to, we'll include that in the show notes so people can watch it. Awesome. Yeah, it was for fandom. It was part of their like ways of like finding things to put out when the quarantine started happening. Um, it was like of a certain point of view. And uh, it's it's my my argument that I think Ahsoka stands for what is the best of the Jedi. And so like the title was very clickbaity, like why Ahsoka is the best Jedi of all time, which is which is like that's a title, it's a headline. Right. The amount of people who responded to it going, Ahsoka's no Jedi, because there's one line in Rebels oh, that says, right. I am no Jedi. And I'm like, it's in the video. I addressed it. It's it's in there. It's part of it. Like, don't. But then they'd have to worry. actually watch or and read. Yeah. And they're not doing that. Uh, yeah. Frustrating. So frustrating because I would agree with you that despite the <laughs> fact that she's not part of the Jedi Order, she is a Jedi we see uphold the principles of the Jedi Order. Yeah. To the most. I mean, yeah. maybe Obi Wan Kenobi is a close second. I was gonna say also like it's in the history of when we look at all the. Marvel and DC superheroes, I'm sure they've always, they, all of them have said like, I'm not a hero. And it's like, you are though, like everybody yeah. considers you a hero. So, you know, that's like just, that's just good writing. We have to take a really quick break, sure. but then we're gonna hop more um, into some of her best battles right after this. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today 
at purdueglobal.edu. And we are back. Um, so, Riley, what were some of your main points, I guess, in the video uh, that you did for fandom? The, the big thing about it was, like, like Joelle mentioned a, a moment ago, uh, Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Order because they let her down at the end of Clone Wars. And the thing is, Clone Wars as an entire series really does, like, underscore how the Jedi have failed to live up to their own promise leading up to Revenge of the Sith. And so my video was basically that through her actions and through, like, her determination to, like, be a part of the universe and to try to, like, make the universe better, Ahsoka upholds the ideals of being a Jedi better than the actual Jedi do at that point. And that for her, like, I, I actually think that part of what, like the Jedi always teach this doctrine of non-attachment, which I, I could do a whole other episode on how I think that's completely flawed and how the best Jedi in Star Wars stories are very attached to people. Um, but I think that like one thing the Jedi are too attached to is the idea of the Jedi, the name, we are the Jedi, we stand for this to where they're not actually living up to their own ideals anymore because they're too attached to their organization and their name. Whereas Ahsoka then steps outside of that and instead just lives the life of what a Jedi should be. And that's why my argument is that she's a better Jedi than all the, because even Obi-Wan, and I say this in the video, Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Luke, who are like three of like what we're told are the best Jedi in Star Wars, all three of them, when they make these great failures, they go hide away and they don't try to like fix things. Mm. Whereas like Ahsoka literally helps start the Rebel Alliance. She becomes the intelligence officer of the Rebel Alliance. And like she actively works to fight against the Empire and she actively works to continue to make the universe better. And we're going to include even more of that. I still can't imagine people arguing with you about this, but I can't. <laughs> I, mean, I say I can't, Wars, but I, I can. I, I, probably, I probably, Joelle and I probably slightly mispronounced the name of her race earlier, and that's what we're going to get a thing on her. Or, or I no, didn't describe don't. her paint well enough. You know? <laughs> no, Nerdificent <laughs> fans better not. You know how. <laughs> yeah. You One know thing I was saying about Ahsoka, too, is that not only is she a major female character, but she's really one of the first major alien characters besides Yoda that we get like as like a lead character in so much of Star Wars is is humans or maybe droids. And so to have like an alien character is like really fun to watch. Yeah. I was also going to say not to make this uh, spiritual or political or anything, but that's how, you know, often the Jedi gets compared to Christianity or whatever. There's so many conversations about religion and like, you're so right about it being the title versus like what it actually means, yeah. um, which I could do a whole thesis on as somebody that went to Catholic school for multiple years. It's really funny whenever people come at me and I'm like, I had to study the Bible. <laughs> like <laughs> my mom says rosaries every day. You understand how long it takes to do a rosary? Trust me, I am very familiar <laughs> with the religion of my people. Um, anyways, which I could critique for hours on end. Uh, so her, her, her battles, I'm really fascinated to what, I know we kind of tapped in on that, but what to you uh, would you recommend if people were like trying to look up some of her best fight scenes or the ones that oh, you love the most? I got two for me that like, once you've gotten into them, the, the two best fight scenes for her are in the four-part finale series of The Clone Wars. She has a lightsaber battle with Darth Maul that is one of the absolute best lightsaber battles in the history of Star Wars. And, yes, yes, and then the yes, other yes. one that is amazing is in, uh, there's a two-part Rebels season two finale called Twilight of the Apprentice. 
and she has a a lightsaber battle with with Darth Vader slash Anakin that is emotionally and just visually just amazing. And it's that's actually where her iconic I am no Jedi line comes from. And I also want to point out that immediately after he says I am no Jedi, she then acts with compassion and trying to save someone from themselves like a good Jedi would do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that line is said so much out of... Um hurt and frustration and betrayal and fear of what's about to happen uh, almost more than, than her actual relationship to the Jedi. Uh, My favorite moments, you pick such great battles. I'm going to pick some great emotional moments. Um, I really enjoy uh, fans of this show have probably heard me talk much about the trilogy of Mortis. It is maybe my favorite thing about Star Wars ever. It is the entirety of the Star Wars canon distilled into three perfect episodes from Clone Wars. It is an amazing analysis of what is it to be light and dark and balanced yeah. quote unquote, and not picking a side and letting craziness reign. Uh, it's so good. And in that series, Ahsoka has to struggle against the dark, literally the dark side, the force of it, not an individual. Um, when she's consumed by it, she's risen like Jesus. And for me, this places Ahsoka very much at the center of the story. And it's one of the things I love most about Ahsoka is because we don't have her entire history She's a flexible character. We don't know how she impacted everyone. We don't know mm-hmm. everyone who she's interacted with, but we do know that she's stringently tied to um, Anakin Skywalker. And we know Anakin Skywalker basically hangs in the fulcrum of balance. I think she is his alternate. Uh, people try to say that it's Obi-Wan. That can't be, he's his like brother figure. Can't mm-hmm. be Yoda, that's like his grandfather figure. It can't be his son, that's his actual son. There isn't like an actual balance there, but it could be Ahsoka. This person he taught, this person who mastered what he taught before he could. Um, and I think you get a lot of setup there that I'm really hoping is sort of um, pushed further in future series. I'm also a big fan. Uh, Luminar Andali has a Padawan. Luminar Andali before Ahsoka was my favorite female Jedi. She hung around in the mm-hmm. background. She looked super cool. She was played by a Black woman. I was like, I'm here for it. Um, her Padawan and Ahsoka have two major canon adventures. I can't recall the episode numbers right now. I'll drop them in, in the um, show notes so that you guys can check it out. But uh, their relationship and their sort of uh, confrontation of what it means to be a Jedi and what the Jedi Order stands for really turned me on to what it is to be a gray Jedi, what it is to be a force wielder. And those are the characters I really love. If you've seen Rebels, Bendu is a force wielder. He's one of my favorite characters of all time. I love these characters who are like, I'm not going to follow the rules, but I still want to be a good person um or i want to take down this institution that no longer supports us i think those are sort of vital conversations that started in the comic books and the animated shows that are slowly inking their way into the movies and those tend to be my favorite parts of star wars if we're gonna talk about emotional arcs not just battles i think that two of the big ones are also there's a arc it's also the introduction of Saul Guerrero to the Star Wars ooh, uh, ooh, mythos, snaps. but it's the Onderon Rebellion arc. So you get yes. a very young Saul Guerrero, a very not Forrest Whitaker Saul, Saul Guerrero, <laughs> but uh, when he speaks with normal breaths. Uh, but uh, it is <laughs> it is the early building blocks of when Ahsoka like starts to you can you can see where she becomes someone who would be a founding member of the Rebel Alliance. Like you can mm. see basically the the Onderon like the like the the separatists are kind of doing like a proxy takeover of Onderon and the, the Jedi cannot get involved because of treaties and stuff like that. 
but they leave Ahsoka there to train these local rebels, these like insurgents to fight against this like takeover. And they're like, they're like, you can't get involved. You can't get involved. You can only train them. But like, as they get more and more deep into it, like she's on her own there. And she's just like, I can't just sit back and watch these people fight and die and not help them. And she gets involved in the battle and she like jumps in and like helps them out. And it's really important like moment for her. And then there's also this arc. I think that the, the arc that has her leave the Jedi without spoiling too much is this Jedi temple bombing arc. That is a fantastic arc as well. And, but I think another really good one is there's a, there's a, there's a, I believe it's a two part story where she gets captured and you find out there's like this planet where these bounty hunters are essentially hunting young Jedi Padawan and they've been separated from their masters, some of them for years and they're like stranded there and unable to fend for themselves. And Ahsoka essentially steps up and helps them learn how to fight back and like free themselves of this capture. And honestly, to this day, I'm angry that that episode does not end with Ahsoka becoming a Jedi Knight. Because like, if there's anything that could be considered her trials to be a knight, right. she never gets made a knight in the series. Like she she goes through multiple trials that like would should be considered a trial to become a Jedi Knight, but they, they never actually give her knighthood. Like she's still technically a Padawan when she leaves the Order. It's offered to her as a um, like an apology almost. Yeah. To be like, oh, oh, this, oh yeah. now we see this was your path all. Along. And it's so I think badass because I feel like when people can't um, acknowledge you until after they've made horrendous mistakes, not one but many it's time to walk away. And it's, it's sort of, it's yes. so offensive how that title is offered her after she's been a, literally a general in the war to the point where in the season seven, she winds up getting her own battalion. Like it's yeah. crazy how much uh, the Jedi order overlooked her, but I think also fits with what we know about the Jedi order and who sort of been uh, lifted up as the Jedi heroes. Wow. In, you know, our canon. I love that. I yeah. love that commentary. <laughs> I yeah. love the tea. There's a real there's a real shade throwing moment in the last arc of, of Clone Wars where she's talking to Mace Windu and she's like he's like they're they're still talking to her like, oh welcome back to the Jedi. And she's like, no, I'm here as a citizen. And then when like something happens that like annoys him, he goes, This is not for you, citizen. And he's just like so shady. And it's like so weird to hear Windu like get all testy like that, but it works Truly. so well. Um, we're gonna take another quick break and then we're gonna actually talk about the future. Uh, of Ahsoka right after this. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we are back. Okay, so I want to know about, tell, tell the listeners about Fulcrum, like what we need to know. Do you want to start with this one? Yeah, I can. Uh, okay, so... Star Wars Rebels, which is the second animate, technically the third, but the second canonized animated series, um, features uh, a young Ezra Bridger. It's after Order 66. Uh, he is basically, I call him Star Wars Aladdin, because that's essentially what he is. He's like a street rat. He can't find his parents are political prisoners. He gets picked up by a Jedi and his like small flight crew and taken on adventures. And as they're adventuring, they start getting all of these great like little messages and hints about like where to go, like uncover prisoners here. This planet is being um, subjugated by the empire. Go look into that from this person named Fulcrum, this mysterious voice from beyond. Uh, And then at the end of season one, it's revealed to be Ahsoka. And I cried because that is the first recurring role. That's the first time we see Ahsoka after she leaves. Um, So basically, uh, we know a little bit from her book. Ahsoka goes off to other planets. She makes her own lightsaber. She's doing her lone warrior thing. And then she sort of starts coming into Phoenix Squadron. And the idea of it is like before there is a rebel army, there is Phoenix Squadron. It's a bunch of disparate people who are like, we're not going to stand for this tyranny. And they start speaking up for themselves. It's great because she's a general and she knows how to fight. She also understands the empire and their actions and where they're going. And so she becomes basically like an undercover agent, mercenary, if you will. Yeah. Uh, she fights here and there. Mostly she's organizing and informing using her spy skills. Yeah. And there's a moment in the book where she, because like Bail Organa, when he's like putting the Rebel Alliance together, like finds her and like recruits her. And like he's asking her like what she wants to do. And she, she basically says like, hey, all these things happened in, in this time period because no one was putting it all together and contacting each other and like organizing it. So I want to be the one to do that for you. And that's when she becomes the fulcrum of the organization. So she sent, she essentially becomes the head of intelligence for the Rebel Alliance. And actually, they have talked about how in the upcoming Cassian Andor uh, Disney Plus series that they're working on, like they're, they're basically, uh, I think that they've, they've already said that Cassian is essentially going to be kind of slightly retconned into having been a fulcrum agent. That's what he's doing in Rogue One is he's working as a fulcrum agent. And 
yeah so basically because in rebels like the first fulcrum we meet is is ahsoka like she's revealed to be ahsoka but then other people over the course of the series then start referring to themselves as fulcrum like another character becomes the next fulcrum and so it's basically just like a handle for a spy which makes her like a very interesting character highly valuable you would suspect to the empire um one of the few people who retains the knowledge of the Jedi, we see that as that religion and forces sort of stomped out rather quickly. If you take a look at Rogue One, uh, she's one of the few people who retains that knowledge and able to um, dispense it to people. And you have to start wondering, like, what has Ahsoka been up to? Like, and like, where does her story end? Is we don't know. We don't know when Ahsoka dies like so there's all this open-ended like theory of like maybe was she ever talking to luke we know she talked to leia we've got lots of stories with her and leia because she was working with bail organa that's who adopts leia um i'm so excited to see what she's doing i imagine much like her uh teachers before her that she if she dies she's dying on the battlefield i don't see her ever like taking up a partner and leading a peaceful life i think she's about uh this war and being in these streets until it's resolved don't know the average lifespan of her people, but I think it's longer than a human life. So we could have her around for quite some time. Yeah, and there is, uh, and Filoni has said, this does not mean that she is dead, but her voice is one of the voices that Ray hears call out to her on Exegol when she reaches out to the force. And it's really interesting because as a character who has said that she is not a Jedi, she is she is voicing herself as one of the uh, one of the Jedi. Like when she's one of the Jedi who reaches out to Rey on Exegol. So there is definitely uh, an implication that perhaps somewhere in between the end of Rebels and when Rise of Skywalker happens, she has become a new Jedi herself, or she has kind of re-embraced her Jedi nature. Well, there's a tip off to that in Rebels. She goes <laughs> into a Jedi temple um, with Ezra and his master, and they're sort of like meditating. And if you know anything about the temples, like sometimes they just reveal that there are like three stories beneath it with other additional information. Uh, people can come to you and sort of talk to you. Yoda contacts her. It's brief. It's a second. She's in doubt. She doesn't feel like she should be there, but she's like, I'll just meditate while you guys go do your thing. And then Yoda appears to her. And it's sort of this like cue signal of like, there's still, there's still more for you to do within the Jedi order. And I love that you said, like you mentioned that because it totally got me thinking, well, we know Yoda can project when he's alive. We know that he can just send his voice Mm -hmm. out to individuals. So does she reach a Yoda level of like, you know, status that she become like a grandmaster almost of uh the jedi teachings oh, that would be so by that cool. time i mean and then also without spoiling t- too much there is a weird thing that happens with her with the timeline at the end of rebels <clears throat> but the last shot we see of her on rebels is set so there's like rebels has this short epilogue that is mm-hmm. set after the battle of endor and it's kind of like telling you what's happened like what the what the characters that you can follow have been up to since the course of the original trilogy, basically. And she meets up with one of the other characters and they are heading off into like the, um, like beyond the outer rim and parts right of space back into that bright her. light, very like cowboy yeah. off into the sunset. Absolutely. But she has on a white robe and she also has an owl, which going back to the Mortis arc that, that Joel was talking about earlier there's and she also has used the name ashla as her like nickname and like as like an alias mm-hmm. and ashla is actually like a term in star wars to mean the light side of the force like it's Come the light side, it's the 
so it's it's interesting that like there's like this there's this implication in like some fan theories that Ahsoka, maybe because of what happened on Mortis, has somehow become like almost like an emissary for the light side of the force. You guys, if you have not watched the trilogy of Mortis, there's never a wrong time to start that. You really know, like, you don't have to watch any of the other Clone Wars. The great thing about Clone Wars is almost all of their episodes come in threes. So if you just pick up at the start of a trilogy, you can watch an hour and a half of, like, consolidated storyline and not feel lost. It, it's That's the only kind of linear storytelling they do. And it, yeah. it's just, that's, the, ta- the, the sculpture on the door, that's the Star Wars tattoo I want, is the father, the son, and the daughter. Like, yeah. it's... Mortis is everything to me. And the things that happened to Ahsoka there, I really do think will inform her storyline going forward. Yeah, we know she's going to, we, we, we've almost all but confirmed that she's going to be on The Mandalorian season two. And then there's also been talk of this mysterious secret other Dave Filoni animated project that is possibly like a third to follow uh, Clone Wars and Rebels. Because there is a, there's a, there's a resistance series, but resistance is more of a kids. Like it's kind of a smaller theme. And that's squashed, right? That's, I, I think, I think, it, and I think it ended this year. Yeah. But I, that's the one that I haven't watched. Cause I've heard it's, it's, it's targeted way younger than me. And I haven't really had an interest in it, but um, rebels and well, rebels and clone wars are so interesting because like you said a second ago, like clone wars is all these like almost like loosely connected serials. And like mm. you have, there's no like main character to clone wars. There are some episodes that are about Anakin, some that are about Ahsoka, some that are about some of the clones, some that droids are about get their droids. own episodes, which uh, is wild. Padme gets an amazing political intrigue arc that she is becomes fantastic. a person in this series. Yeah. Oh my god. But then Rebels is a much more closely contained ensemble drama of like this one group of rebels like going it's like, it's like a five season arc with these same close characters and Ezra is very much the lead of the show. Like you've got you've got you know Kanan as like your your kind of more like mentor type character. You've got Harrison Dula as your amazing pilot. So like there's a whole crew that you follow the whole time. So it's a little bit more of a linear arc. And then, so we don't know what this next one's going to be. There's like talk that like the new series might be focused on Sabine and Ahsoka and whatever they were doing off in the wilderness. So like, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see Ahsoka have an appearance on Mandalorian. I'm like, I was really excited that she had a voice in uh, Rise of Skywalker because I do like this like establishment of firmly putting her in actual Star Wars canon. But I also, for me, like Ahsoka will always be an animated series character. And that's not like I say that in that mm. I don't think that lessens her in any way. And I don't like this idea that she has to be played in live action to give her some sort of legitimacy. I think that the the animated series of Star Wars, Clone Wars and Rebels are some of the best Star Wars storytelling that's out there. And so for me, yeah. And so I just, I love that Ahsoka has really started to get this following and this like more mainstream popularity. She's still a very niche character than the Star Wars fan. A lot of people don't know she exists, don't know who she is, but we're really starting to get somewhere with her. Like this year, Disney put out Ahsoka Mickey Mouse ears on Star Wars Day and yes. they sold out within seconds. Like people, I, I I had people who were in the waiting room on the Disney website trying to buy those ears for like three hours and they were already sold out like within seconds of them being launched. So, yeah. I would say, yeah, as someone that like grew up with the, 
with live action Star Wars, I've never actually sat down and watched any of their animated series. And I think it was because it felt like something, which I think a lot of people say about anime is when it starts getting going, you almost get overwhelmed that Mm -hmm. everyone is just like, you know, there's so much to cover, but like y'all are saying, it's worth it um, to go back and watch, especially I think because she is, I hope continues to be a huge character, Mm -hmm. gets more, uh, recognition, more representation on a lot of these shows. And I've been seeing like video, like yours, Riley, but other ones too, of people like really, this is like their favorite star Wars character. And so I think for even star Wars fans that have consumed all of star Wars media, unlike me who have only watched live action, um, to come back and say this is the character I resonate with the most is huge. And like you're saying, they're really doing a good job for Mm -hmm. people to resonate in such a way that this character has impacted them. Um, Yeah. I think she just really personifies the, the tragedy and the inevitable inevitability of what's happening in the Clone Wars series. I think there's like this over, there's this overall arc to that show of like, inevitable loss because you know what's going to happen like that show exists in between attack of the clones revenge of the sith and you know you know where it's going to end and so there's just this like noble but fated to to fail vibe to it and Mm. i think that like it's so fascinating that she actually did survive that series and go on because I think a lot of people when that show began just assumed that she was going to die before it was over because she doesn't exist in Revenge of the Sith. And so it's like, well, where is this character and why isn't she there? So the fact that they actually like found a way to explain how she survives that narrative, why she's not like a prevalent member of other Star Wars narratives that existed, but then also be able to like turn her into this character of like hope and prevailing goodness in the galaxy. Cause like I push back on the, the definition of her as a gray Jedi. I think she is very, very much a Jedi and she's a light Jedi. And like, I, I don't think she's neutral or gray at all. I think she's very like focused on the light side of the force. And like, I think that she is an example of how within Star Wars, you can still be true to the George Lucas dichotomy of good and evil in this kind of like exaggerated way that star Wars allows it to exist while still having a character that is full of nuance and character depth and energy. And that is, I think why I connect with her so much because she's just this great example of how the chips can continually get stacked against you and you still can be hopeful and like fight against like what you know is wrong in the universe. I actually, Riley, you, you've definitely changed my mind on that because I would have previously described her as a gray Jedi, but I think she's probably more Jedi than the Jedi organization as it is, especially when she leaves. And so, so yeah, even though even though she's the character that turned me on to like what is a good gray Jedi and who are these mm-hmm. people who are are sort of calling out uh, their culture as it is, uh, she's kind of upholding those tenets and be- evolves beyond that. And I I'm so enthralled with not just her as a character but like it's somebody who really values and appreciates like mentor mentee relationships and this idea of like who do you trust with your future and how long do you trust that and then what does it mean to then turn around and become a mentor yourself like these are all sort of questions that Mm -hmm. she's grappling with and i think it's so interesting how they ended the clone war series i have a theory that anakin now darth vader's new lightsaber because we know he loses his because luke has it later 
uh, is Ahsoka's old lightsaber that's just been remodeled. He finds it in the space where he believes she has died. It's the one thing he holds on to from his past life. He lets everything go, but he holds mm-hmm. on to Ahsoka. And then Rebels really dives into that. It is such a juicy and delicious relationship. It really elevates the character of Anakin. And I think to include a secondary character that makes the character, the guy we started off with, so much more nuanced and rich and intriguing is is a feat in writing, especially as we learn what it means to have these like large, expansive sagas. Um, she's an incredible ad. And I, I, God, I want so much more for her. Like not, not that animation is small, but that there's so many more directions to go with this character and so many writers interested in writing her. I think she's maybe the best character in Star Wars as far as like trying to figure out her path and how she's impacted so many of our favorite characters. I see a bright future for her, and I, I hope that is fulfilled. It's interesting because um, I also have a theory about uh, Ahsoka's lightsabers, but mine's a little bit in conflict with yours. But um, and I, there's a this is also based on having read the there's a, there's a Darth Vader comic series that's set like right after Revenge of the Sith and onward, which is really good. But Vader ends up being in charge of the Inquisitorius, like he's the one who helps train them to fight. And there was actually a really cool fan video that I saw online that explains why the way he trained them to fight is ultimately why Ahsoka was able to defeat the brother in battle that she kills to get her lightsabers back. And my, because basically it's that he doesn't teach them any defensive stances. And so she's able to get through because it's all offensive and she's able to get through that. So my theory is that the crystals that she takes from that Inquisitor are her own crystals back and that she got them from Vader when he was training them. Riley, my heart! Ah! <laughs> this has been yeah. the best conversation ever. I know we have to yeah. wind down, but I can literally talk to you about this forever. I'm so we glad do. we got you guest. We'll, ha- we'll have to have y'all back <laughs> together again, especially as we look at more for future as that comes out. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Asajj Ventress. Come on, let's have another hour about that. <laughs> I, I did want to say with y'all being like, um, how are they going to explain You know, her not being here this you know if they can do that with wonder woman and be like why did she peace out for four decades (laughs) um we could figure it out well that's actually my my big thing with star wars in general whenever someone's like well why was this character not there like even like with rogue one they're like oh they had to die because otherwise why weren't they there at endor i'm like maybe they were there was like a thousand ships in the sky there maybe that crew was on one of those ships or the rebellion wasn't fighting every battle in the same spot maybe they were off outer rim doing another mission while this was happening that's so easy to explain away characters in a galaxy yeah absolutely it's always about the point of view right because we see these thousands you know or at least hundreds of of even in this last um film and it's like all of those all those characters that are battling even the ones that end up losing their life it was like what was their point of view that day because we're only seeing the point of view of the main you know, Skywalkers and their friends, but we're not seeing everybody's point of view at all times. There are yeah. so many other people involved. And that's uh, a we, good battle to bring up because the ghost from Rebels is one of the ships in the battle at the end of yes. Skywalker. Bringing it all back, we do have to wrap up. Riley, thank you so much for joining us. Where can everyone catch you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Riley J. Silverman. And uh, I do a lot of writing for Nerdist. And I actually want to say, because you had me on last time talking about Doctor Who, uh, you can find on Nerdist, I last week got to interview three of the actors who played the Doctor at the same time. I got to interview David Tennant, Jodie Whittaker, and Matt Smith at the exact same time. Whoa! And uh, that video is up on the site, so you can check that out. No one who deserves it more. We it, we would have been, we would have written very strong emails if it wasn't you. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, what about you, Joelle? Oh, yeah. You guys can find me all over the internet at Joelle Monique. It's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. I'm producing and not writing right now, which is frustrating. I'll hopefully be doing more writing soon. Uh, but if you want to check me out on shows, check out Katie Jo Golden's Creature Feature on the iHeart Network, where she breaks down human behavior and animals. It's the funniest show, I swear. Um, also, Fake Doctor's Real Friends with Zach Graff and Donald Faison, where we recap episodes of Scrubs. Uh, yeah, and then keep tuning in here to Nerdist. We'll be around. I am at Ms. Danny Fernandez on all the things. Thank you to our engineer, Zach McKeever, who puts up with us. Uh, and like we always say, stay nerdy. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.